As was mentioned previously today, it is a great blessing we've each had already to assemble and to gather. And it's our trust and our desire that God most and foremost will be magnified and exalted by our time together this morning. As was mentioned in the announcements, we certainly are thankful for the presence of each and every one, our visitors and our membership alike. It's our trust that we each can be edified in a way that not only can we be better and stronger servants to the Master, but again, that the very cause of the Master might be lifted high this day. Perhaps it would be in order to make one brief announcement about those puzzles. As you're well aware, beginning last Lord's Day, we passed out puzzles concerning that book of 1 Samuel that our youngsters are studying for the Bible Bowl. It perhaps occurred to me that I should have said that those puzzles to be mostly beneficial to them as well is based on the New King James Version of the Bible. So if you're looking for the words that actually fit into certain parts of that puzzle, make sure to, to base it on that King James, the New King James translation that, that is the one that they are studying as well. Certainly the puzzle, new puzzles for today are available and we'll distribute those as, as we exit the building today after the service. Respect for fathers. We are aware that today is Father's Day and we'd certainly like to extend a happy Father's Day wish to all the fathers who are present with us. And in fact, this lesson, this particular study this morning will involve some of the features that the Word of God shares with us about the role of fathers. The blessing of this day reminds us from Acts 20 verse number 7 that the disciples on that occasion gathered in Troas to do so as they gathered around the Lord's table. To break the bread, if you please. Today, we still look forward to that that we shall do after the character of the early parts of the lesson and also the invitation song. As we look forward to that event, doesn't it remind us also about the greatness of the other things that God says in His Word, including about fathers? As you see on that slide, there are many things in our world today that capture our attention, for it simply seems so strange at times. And there are times that really it goes directly against the declarations of the Word of God. I would like for you to think with me for a few moments this morning about fathers. There's no question that the thought of father is fairly important to the Word of God. 1,718 times the word father or some form of it occurs in the Bible. My friend, that's a huge number. Think about the number of times the Holy Spirit chose to use the word father either in reference to the fatherhood of God or in reference to the fatherhood of one or more men. But all the while, as fatherhood is described, this morning there are many conclusions that you and I will be able to reach about it. The highlight, of course, being the greatness and the thankfulness that we should feel for those godly fathers and for the opportunity that we have to praise our Heavenly Father. With those things in mind, begin with me like this, if you would. Our points this morning will be reasonably brief. Each one of them, though, will have its proper place, and it will also have its rightful order. First, the place of Father. I chose to use that one at first for the following reason. Isn't it true that the God of heaven invariably and always knows and does what is best and what is right? Although men throughout the ages and centuries have questioned Him, and although some have even had the nerve to assert that he's been in error, it has never been so. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The famous statement of Abraham in Genesis 18.25. 
Perhaps it was Moses who in that marvelous song of Deuteronomy 32.4, he gave great compliment to God when he said, His way is perfect. Not only is it complete, not only is it sound, but there are no discrepancies found in it. And thus, anything that God has said about fatherhood or otherwise is absolutely true and it's absolutely right. You'll notice furthermore on that slide that some of the features and things about the nature of fathers reminds us of the following. God, of course, placed His fingerprints all over the character of the family. It was He who orchestrated it. It was He who designed it. And it was He who set it forth. And although men, again, have often thought that they had better ideas, and although at times men have again thought that their way was superior, when you and I revisit Genesis, the second chapter, we remember this. God had fashioned Adam there on that day number six of His creative effort. But in so doing, we remember that He also found that something was not quite right that there was something that wasn't as he wished it to be. The man was alone. And in Genesis 2, verses 18 and following, we remember that God, of course, caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. From his side fashioned a woman, brought her to him. And we notice that the very first occurrence of the word father is in Genesis 2, verse 24. Wasn't it there that the following marvelous statement is made? Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. We notice the word father was employed and at this very initial instant God made a statement. A statement that as the man reaches the point leaving his father and mother cleaves to his wife. We notice that that word father is highlighted. You'll notice that that isn't all. Amazingly enough, we notice that, of course, Adam and Eve chose to sin in the next chapter. And in so doing, as sin entered the world and the punishments were meted out to the three that were present, it was to the woman, to Eve, that God said, Your husband will rule over you. The husband was made the head, if you please, wasn't he? And in so doing, he was given a position and, of course, responsibility with it. God's plan cannot be improved upon. And it cannot, in fact, be raised to a point where it's any better than what God has set forth. The modern family is facing a number of challenges. The news segments highlight it. Articles and newspapers hint at it. The features of those who are behind the movements seemingly make it loud and clear. I might point out that fathers, in the mind of some, have become expendable. Expendable fathers. We notice that as, of course, fathers are needed in some way to make a baby, it still is true that many think from that point onward they are not needed. The family can go on without them. The leadership and the other features of the family seem to survive without them. And so in the mind of some, fathers have become expendable, unnecessary, not needful, basically a side benefit at best. You'll notice in this opening statement, though, the place of fathers in the Bible is so different. The American Civil Liberties Union, less than two months ago, filed a lawsuit in the state of North Carolina, the basic thrust of which is that fathers are expendable. Two women went to court, 
and in the various legal proceedings of the matter, the case was attempting to be made that basically fathers are not in a matter that is needful. One wonders, what will the rest of the iceberg bring if that is the tee-up? What will be 20 years from now if God lets things stand? What will then be the decree of our land and elsewhere concerning fathers? The book of God still uses the word 1,718 times. Fathers are important. They're so needful and vital that might I invite us to use the remainder of our time to cast the spotlight on them, giving, of course, proper praise and honor where due and reminding all of us of the powerful obligations that's theirs. You'll notice in the next part of the lesson, the next slide, in fact, beside the issue of the place of fathers, let us use the book of God for a moment and highlight some of the impact that God wishes fathers to have. That word impact is a fairly strong word, doesn't it? And we might well begin this thought by saying, it truly does not take a great deal of conviction, and it doesn't take a great deal of courage for a man to do the thing needed to bring a baby into the world. All it takes is to know a woman in the biblical sense of the word. But the book of God says it does take a great deal of courage and a great deal of conviction to be a godly father. To be that kind of man to which that child could look in character of setting forth an example of spirituality and leading and directing not only that child but that family in the proper and right way. Some of the greatest men in all of biblical history were fathers, weren't they? Wasn't it Noah in Genesis 6, 7, and 8? We remember that his three sons repopulated this earth through the influence and the leadership of their father Noah. What might be said about Abraham in Genesis the 12th chapter? It was he whom God called and this one who was called more than once in the sacred scriptures, the friend of God. James 2.23 is one of those verses. This man Abraham not only bore a son of promise Isaac, but what a powerful influence he has had now for centuries on the Middle East and, yea, in all parts of the world. Beyond him, we could well recall his sons, Isaac and Jacob, being son and grandson respectively. In all these instances, as they bore children and as they influenced them, what good was brought about? A group of people forged and fashioned through the declarations of God and they ultimately brought into the world the greatest of all, Jesus the Christ. The marvelous wonder of that list could go onward. As we make mention of Moses, he too was a father. Zechariah and even others in the Old Testament such as David and Josiah. Fatherhood, you see, is a very critical part of the sacred scriptures. At this point, though, might we ask, if all of these were fathers, and yea, many others might have been mentioned, what are some of the things that the Scriptures say about them? Might we begin in Proverbs 1 verse 8? In the book of Proverbs, much is said about fathers instructing their children. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. That, of course, insists that the father will have some instruction to deliver. And it insists that the Father will, in fact, take those opportunities to do so. Can you and I not be thankful for our fathers who did that very thing, who took the time, who took the opportunity, 
perhaps even at their own inconvenience, to instruct us in matters that were needful for being a profitable citizen and also needful for being a rightful citizen in God's kingdom. Many of us in this audience have been blessed with a godly father who in fact was attempting to instruct us in the way of rightness. I've listed a number of verses on that slide in addition to Proverbs 1 verse 8. In each one of those instances, you notice an emphasis laid upon the instructional activities of the Father. To each of us who still have children at home, might we again think carefully about the wonderful obligations that is ours to instruct them. Isn't it true that as a child enters the world, that child is rather selfish in the sense that that child wants what it wants when it wants it. And yet we as parents, as fathers for our lesson today, have the lovely obligation of helping them appreciate selflessness and their place in this world and the purpose of their life. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Fatherhood, you'll notice, also goes beyond that. It highlights in those latter two verses about the nature of the foolishness that occurs to those children who do not pay attention to the instruction of their father. Perhaps you and I can remember times when we didn't listen as dutifully as we should have. Dad was right. We didn't want to admit it then. And maybe even at the time we were so certain that we knew a better way than he did. And yet the time bore out the fact that Dad really, through the crucible of experience, knew exactly what he was talking about. My son, listen, hear the instruction of thy father. As we, in fact, think today about Father's Day, notice some other things, though, besides instruction that also is mentioned. Also in the book of Proverbs, there is something said about the leadership of that family. I've listed there particularly a verse, as you'll notice in the following way. Genesis 18, verse 19. Although that takes us back to that first book in the Bible, something very notable is said there about the gentleman known as Abraham. It's so notable because, of course, it was God who affirmed it when He said, I know that He will lead His children well after Him. The influence of a father. We shall have more to say about that in just a moment. But for now, that leadership that God has bequeathed to you and me as fathers is something that truly is a fantastic matter to understand. That leadership aspect and what is asserted leads us to the next one. The notion of discipline. That father, as it is listed in Proverbs 3 verse 12, is likened unto the discipline that emerges from the God of heaven. Just as surely as God chastises in His love those who need correcting. So too the text goes on to say in that same verse, a father out of his love for his children does in fact correct them. He administers discipline whether it be by word or otherwise. Again, can you and I not remember a host of valiant lessons that we learned from Dad? Sometimes the lessons were painful. Sometimes they were less so but all the while learning the nature of that lesson that in his mind was so valuable and that no doubt has remained valuable in your mind and mine as well. The lessons from Dad. 
as you give thought to whether it be through the avenue of instruction, through the avenue of discipline. That list, in fact, goes on in the following direction. As those younger eyes look toward Dad, one more thing that the Scriptures indicate that they must certainly not fail to see is the fact that he loves his wife. The times of our culture, without question, have been continuing to change now for half a century or more, in the which the structure of the family just isn't what it necessarily once was. However, the needfulness of what's found in that family in terms of what makes a good child and what makes a child bound for heaven, that has not changed. Our fathers must show to them how a wife needs to be treated. It is the character that as dad deals with mother and as they together form a unison that is so strong and united, it is in that way that a little girl needs to learn how her husband should one day treat her. And she needs to learn that through the eyes of what her dad has done. And by the same token, a little boy needs to learn, how do I treat my wife one day? How do I respect her in the way the Scriptures would indicate? Again, no better example and lesson than that of experience as he watched dad through years of labor and doing the same. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. To quote Ephesians 5.25. That's one of the things then that you and I can see that is beginning to have sore problems in our world. How many children are being raised in households with no father? And I say that in the following way, either a man's there who is dereliction in his duty or else there isn't a man there at all. More and more it seems are being raised like that where they have not these things. Because if the father doesn't provide them, then they are not adequately being provided. God has suited the men in this audience as those who are especially equipped to do these things. We cannot abdicate and let the woman do them. She has not been equipped by the God of heaven to do them in the way we can. She has her duties and they are plenty in terms of what the men can do. You'll notice these fathers also do this. Proverbs 17, 6 reminds us that a father glories in his children. That word glories is a verb that means beauties. He takes such pride in them. So much so that he wishes, in fact, by way of his love and correction, to steer them in the way of propriety and most of all in the way of godliness. He glories in them. Sometimes fathers don't have as many words to say as mothers. Sometimes women talk a little more than men. Rest assured, though, in the heart of that man is a great deal of pride and love for his children. He appreciates them. He loves them. He wants them to see direction in the way they ought to go. And isn't that what God wants for all of those who are His children? It is a fantastic consideration to see that some of the praises that God heaps upon a godly father are many, and they're so complimentary. The needfulness that you and I see in them perhaps brings us to yet another lesson. We've hinted at this already in the lesson this morning. Let's take that one step further. In a section entitled, The Spiritual Emphasis, I know today, it being Father's Day, that our minds rush to those who are our earthly fathers and the things for which we could be thankful. 
the kinds of description and the kinds of examples that they set before us. Let's be a bit direct about the following thought. A dad does many things. He may be a carpenter, a hunter, a fisherman, a mechanic, a farmer. In fact, he may do all of the above as he maintains the place, the house, the farm. Perhaps we each can think of going to him and asking him to help us fix something. Or we watched him work on something around the house. Or we watched him with his hands take wood and build a beautiful piece of furniture with it. All the while, might we say that as a dad does all of those things, it truly is a powerful experience to help him and to watch him. But isn't it still true that by far, the thing that is most needful is not that he be a mechanic, not that he be a farmer. Those things are good but that he be a godly man. A father's most significant legacy is in the realm of the spiritual. Make no mistake about that. In fact, so significant is that it bears repeating, a father's most significant legacy is in the realm of the spiritual. A few years ago, a study was done that I think points out something very interesting. I say a few years ago, it was only 18 years ago, in Switzerland, a study was made in which research and numbers pointed out the following interesting conclusion. As youngsters were studied as they moved on through life, their character of religion was compared to that of the other members of the family, the mother, the father, so on and otherwise. The statistics were overwhelming that as the religion of the father went, that was by far the most strong in determining factor of the religion of the children, even more so than the religion of the mother. If dad was a faithful member, by far the children were more likely to be. Isn't that interesting? Could it be that the children were in fact almost innately programmed to appreciate that the leadership exhibited by the father in matters of religion to them made the most strong and determining factor in their course of religion in life? Perhaps there's much to be said for that. God, after all, has some things to say that would have reminded us, reminded us of that same truth, wouldn't He? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The powerful reminder of Proverbs 22.6. That text that Brother Harold quoted for us earlier, found in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We notice in it, verse number 4, especially says, "Ye fathers... Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We find in that a reminder for all of us. And as we can remember our dads in attempting to do that very thing, how thankful we ought to be. But also it's a charge for us to continue in that same way, understanding that as we bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that is something which they will remember. It is something which they time and again can return to as a foundation on which to build a life of rightness, a life of propriety, and a life that's governed and guided in the right way. Isn't that an interesting thought? You'll also notice on that same slide, there are some other verses that you and I might appreciate in, in light of this same thing. Notice with me the statement in First Chronicles 28. I invite you to read that with me. In the 28th chapter of 1 Chronicles, although it is found in the ages long past, 
it is a statement that is so filled with consideration to perhaps set the background, it's this. This was a time in life when David had reached old age in the sense that Solomon was soon going to become the next king and the years of David were about to pass away. David was soon to meet his death. Knowing that, he bequeathed unto Solomon some interesting final words. I would ask you to think with me about the greatness of that moment. If you and I had one thing to say to our children when we were about to pass away, one last reminder, one last point of emphasis, one last thing that they could utilize to guide them through life, what would it be? Look at what David said. Verse number 9 of First Chronicles 28. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him... He will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. And with that, the curtain almost closes on the life of David and Solomon becomes the next king of Israel. Revisit with me some of the very interesting statements that David made to Solomon. He began by saying, Know thou the God of thy father. It begins with an emphasis upon knowing God appreciating His greatness, understanding as much about His nature as possible, understanding that through this we find the very bedrock of faith. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. No God, Solomon. But that isn't all it says. Serve Him with a perfect heart. It is not a matter of pretentiousness. It's not a matter of hypocrisy. Solomon, be genuine and be real and serve Him from the utmost nature of your being. He goes on to say, with a willing mind. Service in the kingdom of the Master, of course, is something that requires a willing heart. God won't force any of us to serve Him. And maybe you and I witnessed in our Father a man who loves serving the Lord and who is excited about the thought of it. May you and I, in fact, behave as wisely. You'll notice, though, that even more was said. For the Lord searcheth all hearts. Solomon, don't you ever think you can hide from God? Don't ever think you can fool Him, deceive Him, beguile Him, or mislead Him. He knows everything about you, your thoughts, and your intentions. He goes on to say, Understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek Him, He will be found of thee. Solomon, if you'll seek Him with all your heart, you will find Him. And you will enjoy a character of service to Him that will be a great blessing to you and to so many others, especially your own family. But notice, if you forsake Him, He will cast thee off forever. Solomon, remember this point. If you ever forsake Him, it will bring a great sense of loss and curse because God will cast you off as you and I reflect upon the life of Solomon. Isn't it true that he was faithful to the Lord for a while? It would appear that he in fact served in the majesty and might of the words of his father. But the time did come that Solomon veered astray. The time did come as we read in 1 Kings chapter 11. He did wander away from the truthfulness that his father had bequeathed to him. He did in fact forsake the Lord. We notice his kingdom suffered mightily because of it. 
Remember, after the reign of Solomon was over, the kingdom was rent asunder. The two tribes were never as united again with the other ten as they ought to have been. Notice all this came because, in part, Solomon didn't learn the lesson he should have learned. We notice that the spiritual emphasis of a father highlights and reminds us today of what a powerful influence spiritually a father can be. It's one thing to appreciate then that the father can do so many things in a family, but he mustn't overlook this obligation, and he mustn't overlook this feature. You and I can take a great deal of pride again in the example of a godly father and be so thankful for him. Maybe one final thought. That one final thought is this one. As you and I think about those godly fathers, we've already noticed that our society often does not respect them. Often it's overlooked, it's treated as a light matter. But we've already learned today that that isn't true in the book of God, is it? Over 1,700 times the word fathers used. Doesn't that alone highlight that God considers fatherhood important and vital and significant? And so it's worthy of our respect. The first three verses of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, are the very section that we'll use to close our lesson today. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. We notice that we are then to obey Father in the Lord because that's the thing that's right. It will be the very matter that will lead to our longevity here as a general promise of the God of heaven. And furthermore, a life understood as one that is filled with those things that are good and rich. Sometimes as fathers are looked upon as expendable, these kinds of thoughts would appear in the mind of many today to be a byproduct of an era long gone by. It's not as needful, many would say. It's not as important as many would affirm, but yet, children, obey your fathers. Give them the respect that God would rightly have you to direct toward them and to understand that in the Lord they are seeking to guide you in the way that is the best for you. You'll notice verse 3 highlights it in the following way. These words take us back as an almost direct quotation from the days of Exodus chapter 20. There the word used was, Honor thy father and thy mother. We should still honor them. Today is that day set aside on the calendar as Father's Day, and may we then give thanks for a godly father. And may we use that as an insistence on ourselves as men to try and be one, to direct our family in the way we ought to go. The summary statement, perhaps the final thought of conclusion of the lesson this morning, might well be highlighted like this. Fathers are not expendable. They are ever so needful, for without them the family will not be the fullness and completion of what God would have it to be. Because of that, we've studied today the place of fathers, how significant they are in the biblical scheme of things, and furthermore, the impact that they ought to have. Whether the society would like to admit it or not, the impact that they do have. Are you and I then the fathers we ought to be? Furthermore, can we appreciate that third lesson when we say ought to be? What about the spiritual part of it? Thankfully, we can be so complimentary of those men that are godly fathers and encourage them to continue on that way. And if we as men and others in the audience are not in that category, why not? There are little eyes watching us. 
there's a wife or others who are watching us and we need to fulfill the obligations and duties God has given us to do toward them. And so in the final place, what about the respect we ought to have for fathers? It's our hope today that each father will have a good Father's Day and that we can use the Word of God to help us perhaps be even stronger and better in the days that lie ahead of us. Today, though, if there would be one or more in this audience, man or woman, that needs to make a response in a public way to the call of invitation, this would be a perfect day to do that. Jesus, the very Son of God, gave His life on the cross, shedding His blood that you and I might in fact have our sins washed away, and in so doing that we can live in harmony with our Heavenly Father. Today, if you are not a faithful Christian... Why not, in fact, rededicate your life to the cause of Christ if you are a wayward one? In so doing, come back and request prayers of faithful brethren for sins that are public in nature and God has promised to hear and to forgive. If you, on the other hand, are one who has never become a member of the body of Christ, you to this point have turned your back on your heavenly Father. Why not, in fact, make things right today? The baptismal waters behind me are ready, and we'd be honored to assist you in your response to the gospel. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If today we could be of assistance to you, why not in, in haste at once let us assist you while together we stand and while we sing?